Welcome to Purposeful Empathy, a show dedicated to spreading more empathy throughout the world. Today's episode is brought to you by Grant Huron International, an on-demand coaching provider for individuals and companies. Thanks for watching, and I hope you enjoy the show. So welcome to a new episode of Purposeful Empathy. Today we are joined by Dr. Grin Lord, who is a board-certified licensed psychologist, a motivational interviewing trainer, and co-founder of, check out this word, Empathy Rocks, an organization which brings empathy to AI. I love it, Empathy Rocks. So welcome, Grin. Thank you. Now, I did a little bit of research about you before we got on this call, and um, I discovered a blog that you wrote, which is called 20 Ways to Give Advice with Empathy. And I really appreciated it, and we've included it in the description below. Um, in it, you describe this formula, active listening, part one, asking permission, part two, advice, part three, equals empathic support. So could you unpack those elements for us, please? Yeah. Um, so I think a lot of people, when they are approached uh, with um, someone that's saying, hey, I need advice on this, or hey, I have a particular problem, uh, they want to be helpful, they're well-intentioned, and so they jump straight to giving advice. Um, but what we know is that at least from therapy, that a lot of times people don't actually want to be told what to do. And in fact, if they are told what to do, they kind of dig their heels in and rationalize and explain, you know, this is why I've been doing everything that I've been doing. Um, so ironically, sometimes when people want to come to you for advice, they, they are looking for listening. Um, and if you need to give advice, there is research on what will make people more receptive to hearing that. And oftentimes it's saying things that um, put the speaker in the driver's seat of their life, um, that give them control um, over making a choice about what to do. Um, so phrasing things like, hey, you probably have read about this. I don't know if you'd like to hear my perspective, but this is what I know. Put something in a more tentative light for them to be able to still remain in control of their lives and say like, hey, I have read about or, oh, no, I'd be interested, tell me more. It makes them that much more receptive to receiving it um, and doesn't pass judgment or put them in a defense. Um, so this little formula uh, has been, again, developed from years of research and things like motivational interviewing, which is an evidence-based form of therapy. Um, and for most people, it's perceived as more empathic to do the formula than to not. Uh, there are variations culturally, and empathy is a very culturally bound construct, so I don't want to say that for everyone, um, but on the whole, uh, that's what the research is telling us. And just as a, as a follow-up to that, when you came to understand this formula and you started maybe applying it in your own personal relationships, I'm talking about outside of the sort of clinical um, practitioner space, how did you find it changed your, your relationships? Oh my gosh. Yeah, <laughs> talk a lot about that. Um, I think for me, uh, understanding the simple rules around active listening uh, really changed my life. Like I wish every school and every person could have access to this um, because it's not that difficult to do once you know 
what it is. So for, for me personally, um, and, you know, for my family members that I've talked to about this, I think what it does is it allows you to do less work in conversations. Sorry, I'm gonna get blinded here. Um, it allows you to do less work in conversations because you're, um, you're basically in a position of absorbing what the person is saying and repeating it back to them and letting them figure out the path to take rather than you having to be like doing all the work. So for me, it, it honestly reduces um, anxiety in conversations because I know that I don't hold the answer and I just need to be there to be a support or a container for that person to figure it out. Um, like, I wish I knew about this when I was in high school or, you know, grade school or elementary. Uh, I think it would have made my life a lot easier just to be able to know, okay, this is how you listen to someone. You don't need to argue with them. Um, you don't need to convince them that you're right. Not that I was some sort of problematic child or something like that, but that these are foundational skills I think that everyone should have. Totally agree. Um, and I'm a work in progress when it comes to this, but I really understand and appreciate the value. So when it comes to active listening, um, I feel like you've identified three ways to respond effectively. There's the reflection, there's affirmation, and there's an open question. And in that blog that I read, um, you give an example. So let's say a speaker saying, I'm really struggling to lose weight, right? So one simple reflection would be like, sounds tough, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yeah. an affirmation would be, I can tell you've been really working on this, mm -hmm. right? And an open question is, well, tell me more about that. Can you mm -hmm. describe why these three ways of responding are helpful? Yeah. Um, it, it's interesting because they these particular skills were distilled from um, a research study actually that Bill Miller, um, who is the um, co-creator of motivational interviewing, he listened to counselors um, recordings of counselors, hundreds of them, and had patients rate the ones that were the most empathic. And from that study, he drilled down further and further and further and found that there were commonalities among the most empathic therapists. And these were the skills they did. Um, so I think, again, it comes back to um, putting the, the speaker in, in charge of their life and assuming that you aren't the expert on their life. So this idea of beginning with a reflection and repeating is, is almost a way of hypothesis testing that you're saying, I think I understand what you're saying. Let me represent it back to you. So if this person you're saying is saying, I'm struggling to lose weight, you're, you're testing out a hypothesis that you understand them by saying, okay, I think that's tough for you or sounds like that's tough for you. And they have the opportunity to say, um, no, actually it's not been that tough. Um, in fact, I ignore the fact I feel this way most of the time because I've been dealing with it for so long. It's, it's just in the background for me. Or they can be like, yeah, it is really tough. And then um, as a therapist, we're taught that when a reflection hits, that people immediately kind of engage and respond. Um, so if you say it's really tough and they're like, yes, <laughs> and you know you've done an accurate reflection and that 
empathy is really about understanding and showing that you understand another person accurately. And so the reflection is a way of doing that. Like, here's, here's a hypothesis. I'm testing this with you. Is this what you meant? And they're like, yes, that is what I meant. Or they can say no, and then you can keep listening and keep drilling down and keep going and reflect and reflect and reflect. Um, the affirmation part is about, <laughs> affirmation has a lot of, um, I guess there's many definitions um, about what an affirmation is. Like some people read a positive affirmation in the morning, things like that. This is a little bit different. This is more like a compliment, um, but you're really trying to focus on noticing uh, a strength of the person uh, that you're sitting across from and really emphasizing that. So it's almost like a type of reflection, uh, but you're reflecting a strength of that person. So you wouldn't say something like, oh, I'm sorry, you've been struggling. That's more like sympathy or, you know, like pity. Yeah. Um, you'd be like, oh, you're really working hard on this. Like I can tell you're working hard. On this. Oh, I see how you've been struggling and every day you're getting up and like, oh, thank you for being open and honest with me. Like all of those are affirmations of what that person is doing. Um, and in counseling, we have some like fallback ones, ways to provide affirmations when there's literally nothing to affirm, like, thanks for showing up. Th thanks for telling me what's really happening. Um, you're trying to eke out that strength when you, when you hear nothing um, as a way of showing empathy and support. Um, and it's not about you and like you saying, I think you're doing a great job uh, losing weight, which would be more of a confront or a way of you taking an expert stance on their life. Um, and then briefly, the last one, an open question is about evoking and evoking a story. Um, so you're trying to get them to tell you about their life and you're trying to show understanding. And the best way to do that is to not ask a series of closed questions like, oh, tell me what, well, even do a closed question. I was just about to give an open one, but I was going to say, tell me what you're doing to lose weight. That, that would be open. But saying, have you tried this? Or are you doing this? Like that kind of thing is closed. And um, yeah, when we're training, like when I'm training medical residents, this is like what they're trained to do is to ask as many closed questions as possible. And we try to like reduce that and say, hey, maybe you don't need to ask 15 closed questions, try one. Like, what brought you into the office today? Tell me how you got to this point rather than X, Y, Z, you know, closed questions. So um, yeah, those are the three core ingredients of empathic listening that we know work, that there's research um, that shows that it works. Objective raters see those types of comments as being more empathic than, than other types of things you can do. I mean, I see the applications, not only in the work that you've described uh, in counseling or training medical practitioners, healthcare providers, but just in day-to-day -day life where we're being triggered all over the place on Twitter and social media and just sort of like the discourse of our world, right? So um, you've got this empathy training program called Empathy Rocks. Now tell us how this works and sort of the big vision that you have for it. Yeah, I'm glad you said that and brought that up because as a psychologist, I'm always coming back to the therapy research, but the everyone can benefit from empathy. Like it's not um, unique to therapists. And I would love for everyone to take these skills and this superpower and use it, you know, in their workplace with their friends, 
um, really in any setting. And so that's what Empathy Rocks is trying to do is let's teach these simple skills in a gamified fun way on your phone, in your spare time, you're responding using um, these specific types of listening skills and building empathy. Um, the other thing we know about empathy is you can't train it through uh, two-day workshops or videos. Um, you have to practice it and you have to get immediate feedback. Um, so that's the other thing we try to do with Empathy Rocks is create games that while you're practicing, you're getting an instantaneous correction or example of how to be empathic. Um, that's the only way we know how to scale this. And it's right now, or what the, the state has been for training in empathy for the last five to 10 years has been through coaching. Because you're getting that relationship, that immediate feedback, it's great but not everyone can afford a coach. Um, not everyone can get an expert trainer to come in and listen to a recording of them talking to someone and say, okay, here's how to be more empathic. So we tried to scale that using artificial intelligence um, and we have an empathy engine that drives our um, algorithms and models and makes those corrections. So um, I know that you, believe that you're bringing empathy to AI or, and Empathy Rocks like plans to do that in the future. How would that look in the future? Yeah, so our, our larger project is a project called Empathic AI. And we're trying to um, develop or we have developed um, an empathy engine that can plug into any form of text-based communications. So that would look like you're typing out a text to your friend um, and there's an autocorrect that says, here's how to do that more empathically. You're writing an email um, to a colleague. It's like, hey, maybe before you give advice, why don't you put this little statement first? Um, kind of like what I was writing in the article. So these rules, almost like grammar rules, you can follow for empathy. And I'd love there to be a way to integrate that into everyday life. So it's not folks proactively seeking a workshop who, you know, probably are not the ones needing the training, to be honest, if they're going to take an empathy workshop, um, but that every single person can have access to these tools and that it's integrated in their daily lives. Um, so yeah, we're working on a plugin for things like Slack and Gmail extensions um, to really improve empathy uh, right in the ways that people are using it for text-based communications. And so for the critics out there who are saying, oh, how great, you know, like an autocorrect for empathy, right? Where I just sound kinder and less passive aggressive. Um, how do you feel, how would you respond to those folks, you know, who are just saying like, okay, so it's the machine that's doing it and I'm not becoming more empathic at all in the process. I think that's a good critique, um, but I, I guess I'd say to those folks, sometimes you need modeling um, and this is the most direct way is to see almost like how a child learns to communicate. Like it's like a reflection like I'm repeating back to you um, an alternative way to phrase what you mean. And you can always reject that autocorrection, right? Like you can be your authentic uh, self and not, you know, accept every empathic statement. And there may be some that don't sound um, 
you know, you don't want every email to sound like a therapist, right? So there may be times you don't want to be super empathic. But for those folks that have no skills or that believe that they are being empathic, um, I think that after seeing the corrections and then getting a response um, from someone else that's different, they'll immediately be sold when they notice, okay, wow, my uh, friend is acting differently. Wow, they're really telling me what's going on. Or my employee, suddenly their anxiety has dropped um, and I'm not getting as many complaints about X, Y, and Z because I've actually listened to what's happening. So I think the proof is in the pudding. And when you do empathic listening, you get sold on why to continue to do it. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's a valid critique that we don't want to be replacing people's voices and that if it feels totally false to you, um, you know, don't, don't use that. But right now, for example, not to go on a total tangent, you know, we have these kinds of things on social media for flagging like hate speech or, um, you know, any other type of violence or aggressive acts. That's too reactive, in my opinion. Like we need to be more proactive in shaping conversations early on before it gets to that escalated point. Um, you know, if we could teach people how to listen and ask questions in a way that doesn't make people defensive, these conversations online could be more um, potentially productive. So, so I'm also coming at it from this prevention angle of teaching folks early on. Um, yeah, but, but I, understand, I think that's a good uh, counterpoint too. And we know, for example, there are certain things that you can say that lead to behavior change, lifelong behavior change. Um, and if you follow certain um, rules in the way that you listen, uh, that people perceive those conversations to be more empathic objectively. So it's not a mystery. It's not about being warm and fuzzy. It's not about um, just being a caring or compassionate person. You really have to say certain things um, coming out of this research, like open-ended questions, like reflections that are shown um, through years of research to lead to more empathy. So we know it works from those studies. Um, and that just believing that you're empathic or being like, I'm a good person isn't enough to actually show that you're empathic and you have to uh, do those specific skills that, that we found work. And have you, do you know of any research that shows that if people are engaged in more active listening and more empathic type dialogue that there are, benefits to like sort of organizations or teams, you know, out there in the world? I can share one study. It's a little uh, health focused, but um, I used to work at Harborview Medical Center, which is our level one trauma center here in Seattle um, for a four state area. And when folks would come into the emergency room with um, like a positive blood alcohol level, like they had been drinking before an accident, what used to happen is uh, people would rush into the room and read them the riot act or tell them to go to AA and be like, you were drinking and driving, like shame on you. Um, so they did an experiment where they said, let's not do that. Let's not inundate them with pamphlets and things to do, but let's actually listen to them. And let's do 15 minutes, 20 minutes of empathic listening right when they come into the emergency department about how they're feeling about this accident. Um, and what we found from that study is just that 20 minutes of listening uh, 
significantly reduced risk behaviors like alcohol use um, in the population that got the 15 minutes of empathic listening and reduced readmission by something like 48%. Um, and that effect held for three years, three years. So 20 minutes of listening empathically meant people made lifelong changes because they felt understood. They felt like someone really got them and they were interested in making a change when they had this particular form of listening. Um, and so of course, Harbor you scaled that and said, all right, we need a whole team of psychologists coming in and like listening to folks when they come in with a injury and it saves the hospital about $2 billion annually. So this 20 minutes of empathic listening, uh, it's related to real outcomes and change um, in, in people when they feel understood, when they feel accepted, when, they, um, when there's tolerance for whatever stage that they're at um, in their life, they are more likely to, to do things that help themselves, um, that help others and when, they, when they feel that sense of empathy, I guess. Wow, so interesting. Thank you for sharing that. It makes me think of Oprah saying after her 20 years on her show that everybody just wants to feel heard. That's like a universal, everybody wants to be understood, right? I mean, so <laughs> is there anything else that you wanted to share before we say goodbye? I have one uh, small story that I, I would want to tell. Um, and with the power of, of reflective listening with my son that I was just thinking about earlier when you were talking about how do we know reflections work. And uh, when he was um, like, I think three or four, he's now seven. But when he was three or four, I taught him this game called um, listening frog where we had this little um, hand puppet towel thing in the tub and the listening frog would just repeat back whatever was heard. Um, so he would say something like, oh, I, you know, I was playing with my trucks today and listening frog would be like, you enjoy playing with your trucks, you know, whatever. So I taught him this game and there's this, uh, and eventually we progressed to open questions and things like that. And so it was, he, he learned all the three skills. Um, and one day his, his grandmother came over, um, and he was a bit older at this time, maybe like four or five, and she wanted to give him a bath and he found this old, like washcloth in the thing, this like frog. And he was like, oh, it's listening frog. Noni, we're going to play the listening frog game. And she, he's like, I'll be listening frog. And you, you tell me what's going on. And she was like, okay, I'll play the game. Um, and she was like, oh, I'm. I'm, he's like, so tell me what's, what you're feeling right now. And she goes, oh, I'm feeling a little bit sad because I'll be uh, leaving my grandson tomorrow and I've had such a great time staying here. It's like, oh, I, okay. So it sounds like you really love your grandson. And she's like, um, yeah, I, I do. He's like such a, a special boy and um, I just care for him so much and I don't, you know, I'll, I'll miss him. And he's like, yeah, um, it seems like it's hard for you to be away from him. And so he's doing these like reflections, right? I don't know about this. I'm in another room and I come back and Noni's like in tears and I'm like, what's happening in here? And she's like, I don't know. I said he wanted to play this listening frog game and I, I and my son's just there like what's going on because he didn't even realize like the power of empathic listening 
Um, so this is something that can be trained to anyone. And like, we're doing it on our game at Empathy Rocks, but there are, you know, anyone can learn to do this and do it well just by practicing simple skills. And, and it's really powerful. So I just wanted to share that, that too. Um, funny kind of anecdote. Oh, I love that story so much. And I think it kind of reminds me of something that was in my head earlier that I, I, I might I might have mentioned, but we went on to something else, is that I think people, including myself back in the day, believe that repeating or reflecting back what you hear sounds so mechanical that like you're, you're going to get caught being just a reflector. Yes. Yeah, I actually have an article about that on my blog. It does start out that way, but it's so powerful that even if you know it's being done to you, like I'll do this with my husband, for example, even if you're hearing someone say, so it sounds like you feel this, it sounds like you feel this, and they're not varying their reflections and they are robotic, but the power of listening is so strong that it's almost undeniable and you can tell it's happening to you and you still feel understood. Um, and still feel better. But I just tell people, you know, start out that way by using these simple, um, what I call stems, um, you know, sounds like you feel, things like that. And you'll get better and faster at sounding more natural over time and people won't notice. Um, but I have, I have yet to have someone go into like, for example, like a cocktail party, you know, when those were a thing, now they're not, um, and try to see how long they can go without asking a question. This is like a challenge I give to all my trainees, like don't ask a question, just go in and see how long you can do reflections. And I've never had a person come back to me after doing that saying, oh yeah, they stopped me because they were like, why are you repeating everything? People don't expect it, right? Like in these trainings, we're very attuned, but in real life, um, it's like a dry sponge. Like people are not uh, being listened to and they just get that little drop of listening and it's like like they want uh, to, to talk more yes exactly so um yeah I I think I think that is a legitimate fear I think it starts that way and you can push through that and, and very rarely do people notice um when that's occurring well, thank, thank you. you so much. This was a great conversation. I look forward to staying in touch with you. Thanks to all our listeners and all our viewers. See you in the next episode of Purposeful Empathy. What if you had access to your own council of coaches to help you break free of your thinking clutter, make that important decision, and liberate you from what's holding you back? At Grand Huron International, you get to choose the coach of your choice. You get to do so anytime and from anywhere. Visit GrantHuronInternational.com and harness the power of on-demand coaching today.